We're on a worldwide search to see what inclusive education looks like. So Blackboard Ally is going on tour for 2019, visiting campuses around the globe to learn how they're tackling their toughest accessibility challenges and improving the learning experience for all their students. Hey everybody and welcome to the first episode of the Ally Tour podcast. So for the first stop on the tour, we're going to be hearing from the team at Atlantic Cave Community College. And wow, they have just a really inspiring story about how, in the face of challenging legal mandates to become more accessible, they rallied together as a campus to take on those tough accessibility challenges and really become more inclusive for all their students. So let's jump into it and hear from the team. All right, well, we'll start with, with Mike on, since you're, you just walked in. Yeah. Just a quick introduction, your, what you, your name, your role here, and... Uh, your relationship to accessibility. Okay, uh, my name is Mike Barnes. I'm the uh, director of the Center for Accessibility here at Atlantic Cape Community College. Um, and I've been working closely with uh, Michelle's department and everyone here um, on uh, making everything as accessible as possible uh, in as many different ways as possible. My name is Michelle Parkins. I'm the Director of Instructional Technology here at Atlantic Cape, also the Blackboard Administrator. And in my role, or through Instructional Technology, we work very closely with the Center for Accessibility in delivering training uh, to faculty and staff throughout the college. And we work with faculty in trying to uh, help them get their content as accessible as possible. Uh, I'm Josh Carroll. I'm the technician for the Instructional Technology Department. Um, I do most of the back-end server work for Blackboard and other academic-related technologies. Uh, my role with accessibility is basically to test out new solutions, try to break them. Uh, sometimes I'm more successful than other times, but uh, yeah, my point is to test all this stuff out. I'm uh, Jerry Fox. I'm a technologist here at um, Atlantic Cape. Um, we work with Blackboard and with faculty about um, making their content accessible. I'm Pat Kaboska, coordinator uh, in the Instructional Technology Department. I work with Jerry and Josh and Michelle, uh, working with the faculty, uh, assisting the students they call if they have problems with Blackboard. Chad Wolock, Senior Manager of Center for Accessibility. Um, we work in all aspects of accessibility in terms of working with students with disabilities in their courses and also training faculty and staff on different um, strategies for accessible content. All right. So let's start maybe in the glory days pre-decree. What was it like around accessibility? Who cared about it? Prior to uh, consent decree, we everything was funneled through the counseling office. So you have a few counselors that handle the students that would you know visit um, disability services is what it was called at the time. And they would basically handle anything that had to do with accommodation. So accessibility wasn't really in the conversation. It was more about accommodation as opposed to making materials and course materials accessible. So that was probably the way it was set up <clears throat> in the past. So if any uh, requests came through, there's probably one to maybe two people to handle an accommodation request. So now, after the consent decree, we're trying to be proactive, where what we're doing is making things accessible from the get-go so that we don't have to have as many accommodations in order to get, you know, for a student to be successful. So that's, that's kind of how the tide has changed it. But in regards to accessible content, we, there really wasn't much of anything. No. I mean, we would be 
the creators, non-faculty creators, whether for web content, we would make sure we had an alt tag. You know, other than that, you know, that was the time of like flash animations and let's make everything as spinny and fancy and eye-catching as we can and don't, you know, there may be some people who can't look at it, but, you know, at least those who do will really enjoy it. <laughs> you know, and with faculty, I mean, I don't, I really don't think accessible content was a part of their vocabulary as a whole. Yeah, content was really designed in those days for users with perfect vision, hearing, mm -hmm. and all their senses, uh, no, right. um, nothing precluding them whatsoever. Then, you know, there wasn't really much of a thought given uh, to making content accessible. And then what happens? So then you get hit with this, it's a consent decree, that's the official name. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's uh yeah, it's a, it's a consent decree um, that we we had agreed to as an institution. We had agreed to one hundred percent accessibility across the board. Um, so that was something that they had negotiated prior to my arrival at the college and prior to Chad's um, leaving Michelle's department. Um, so then you know I was I was hired. Um, to kind of, and I was hired and so was Chad to kind of manage this consent decree. Um, I'll never forget the moment I was sitting on the beach and I'm looking at this, I get an email from the college saying, here's this document, you might want to check it out. So you're gonna be doing a lot of work on it. So I open it up and I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> but uh, we viewed it as a, as, as a good thing, I think. Like it was, it was very daunting, but it was something that in looking at it, it was kind of like a blueprint into making the college, like the ideal to making the college completely accessible. I realize that 100% accessibility is really difficult and you know probably not attainable, but we had a blueprint right in front of us that sort of spelled out exactly how we should do it. Um, so it, it enabled us to sort of to reach out to other institutions that had been there before us that had done it really well. It enabled us to reach out to some consultants in the industry that had that had worked with other universities on figuring all that stuff out. So we just sort of jumped headfirst into this into this world and just sort of um, started just from the ground up and just started, you know, with the basics of, okay, if we have a student with a visual impairment, how do we make sure that they can get into a classroom and take this class? What are the barriers? You know, and we identified the barriers and we even went as far as, and this was actually Chad's idea, um, as we're going through in the very beginning, you know, we we didn't really know how to really test a lot of this stuff. So we hired a blind student to test everything. So we brought in a student, we paid him as a consultant, and he came in and we ran, in the very beginning, we ran everything we did through this student. And he would tell us where he got stuck. He would tell us what he, you know, what like he was able to get here. Maybe this part was a little wonky. Go back and change this. And that was a game changer for us to be able to really see, you know, his perspective on trying to, you know, register for classes or trying to read the course catalog or trying to do all these different things. So we were able to create a map to then go back and say, like, okay, like what's what's the main so in order to get over here and take this class, we gotta get here first. When we get here, we gotta get here. So it was almost like a choose your own adventure with this kid trying to figure out exactly how to get where we needed to go. And then, you know, with all these different things, with the help of Ally eventually, um, you know, now we have a whole system in place that's really enabling us to ensure that these students have access to fully accessible content. And then if they don't, 
there's a process for making that accessible, both on the student side and the faculty side. And so pre-Ally, had you started to look at the content in the LMS, and how were you trying to look at the content in the LMS? I don't think we had started looking at it. We had started training. We, uh, that was really the first thing we tried to do is to educate the faculty and to start to teach them how to make their content accessible. And I guess at that point, we were relying 100% on you know the office ch accessibility checkers. But there was really no validation or if they weren't using office for some reason when they uploaded their content. We really didn't have a way to manage. And you know, it, it was, there was one point at a meeting that I missed, that's the way it always happens, where it got back to me that Michelle Perkins will go through every single course on Blackboard and make sure that the content is accessible. And I yeah. just said- yeah. I remember that meeting. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't yeah. even know what to say because I said, even if I said it was accessible here, two seconds later, if they upload something, it might not be accessible. So. We really didn't have a solution at that time. We were just trying to get started because we knew we had to get started. We didn't, you know, insert Ally, which made that journey a little bit easier. But yeah, well, once we got familiar um, using the Microsoft Office checkers, so once we found out that Blackboard had a product that was basically going to mimic in a way, you know, that that same result and, and that usage, then we jumped on it right away. We thought, this is great, let's get it in here, even if we're first ones or something to do it. I don't know if we were, but we were pretty early on in the adoption process just for that reason, because we couldn't keep just using the Microsoft Office checkers. There wasn't enough analytics behind that in order to see what was really happening at the school. Just to point out that the day uh, Ally introduced, uh, Blackboard Ally introduced their product was in mid-March of 2017, I believe. Um, that same day, we were a beta tester for Blackboard Ally. So we were we were in communication with Blackboard two months before they rolled out the test product, and we were testing it from day one. And we rolled it out for the fall semester, I believe. Was it a limited rollout, or did we actually do a full rollout? We started with a pilot that fall, and the pilot was so successful, our vice president of academics said, turn it on. Turn it on for everyone, everything. We need everybody to have this tool and have access to it. And by so pilot, we, like 20 classes, 30 classes? Um, it was like more like 20 faculty members. And then of those 20, we turned it on in all their courses. But then over Thanksgiving break, we turned it on system-wide and never looked back. What were some of the indicators of success of that pilot? Um, one big indicator was that when we were invited to go back on different webinars, um, we were already trained on the things that they were discussing in those webinars on how to build accessible content. We were saying we were already past, we already know this stuff in a way. Like we were, we were already uh, you know, educating faculty and staff on these stuff already. So we felt like we were ahead of the game. So that was a real good indicator. Right. Especially on a few Blackboard webinars, as a matter of fact, right? I think we were right. on a Blackboard webinar. We mentioned that we were from Atlantic Cave, and they even mentioned then that uh, we've already been working with you guys on this accessibility <laughs> stuff, like you already know this. Right. So I said, oh, that's neat. We're already making some type of indent or something in the industry. Right. Or, you know. And I think, too, it's, it's, it speaks to the culture change of the institution. I think from the very beginning, we had stepped in to, to, to try to figure out how to not just require people and faculty to make accessible content, but to, be a, to create a culture of accessibility to where we're creating accessible content regardless of specific disabilities that may or may not be in the classroom. 
Um, so I think that buy-in and combined with access to this Ally product, um, you know, once it came out and we started noticing that faculty members were really, they were concerned about their score, they were concerned about their content, which I think was something that we really didn't see in the past. So I think Ally really allowed, it was kind of like the vehicle for our faculty members to sort of be, to be able to visualize progress instead of just us saying, yeah, it looks good. You can, they can really go in and see exactly where they're at and also figure out how to, how to make changes if, if, uh, if needed. Another indicator was uh, faculty started coming up to us in conversations and start talking about accessibility, where before that they were saying, I don't know what that is. I don't know what right. accessibility is. I don't know, really know what you're talking about. And they had a lot of stress and trepidation about it, you know, about getting into it. And then they were stopping us in the hallway saying, you know, I edit headers on this document and I can't figure out how to, you know, modify the header. And I'm going, this is a great conversation because that right. means you're, you know, you're implementing this stuff. So that, that was a game changer. Yeah, I mean, the, the scoring system with Blackboard Ally, for some, they took it like a, like a game, like progress. I want to I want to get to this new level for uh, the content I'm giving to my students. So I don't know if, the, if gamify is the right word for that, but that's kind of what the, the scoring system did in the beginning. So did you first kind of turn on the institutional report and look at that before you opened it up to faculty? What was that process? Did we? Early I on. think we did turn on the institutional report. for. We were looking before we turned it on. Yes, yeah, so we were looking just kind of out of curiosity. There was, at that time, I mean, we were still training faculty. It wasn't like anything was being held against faculty. We were kind of morbidly curious to see where we were in those very first steps. Um, <laughs> in those days, we would go through page after page after page of 0%, yeah. 5%. We were excited that, hey, we have 10 courses that are 100% accessible now. Remember when we were looking at that stuff? Absolutely. And then that number grew more and more and more. And it was exciting watching the change. It was really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it was a good indicator of what content uh, faculty were putting on Blackboard at that time. And there were, like, I think in the beginning, there were, like, 80 courses at 0% because they were all scanned PDFs. They were, there was just not, a, you know, a trace of anything accessible beyond a person who could visually see the scanned document. And as a team looking at a course like that, what was your strategy? Did you, like, pull them into your room and sit them down and, like, this is we have to do something like now about what was the process there? There was a lot of education. I mean, I, you know, we had the series of accessibility courses that Chad created. We had two faculty development days that were dedicated towards, well, let's get down and get dirty and show you how to do this. Um, we, we had messages we, from upper management. We, I was going to say, we tried to, to take the nice guy approach at first. And, of course, when, um, you know, it that worked for some. And then there were others that we needed administration. We needed administration's backing. I mean, it wasn't going, because it does require work. And it's not hard work, but it's different. And change is different. And until administration said, you have to do this, there were some people who just weren't going to do it. And... Those people then would end up, you know, in our offices and say, I'm so overwhelmed. I have no idea how to start with this. And we're going to start one document at a time. You have to look at it one PowerPoint at a time, one video at a time. Because when you're trying to look at, you know, well, I have five different courses I teach and I have like 60 different, five, you know, it's very overwhelming. Just start one at a time. And when you do that one, then you can do the next one and then the next one. And you're going to find that it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And we found that in the beginning, we had faculty who just weren't willing to do anything. And they were like, just please try. 
And I, oh, you know what? I could do this stuff. And like they were excited about it. And then they're like, you know what? I have other students who are actually using this too. And they said it's it's better. And those that was all very exciting feedback for us. I think too, like one of the things that's um that we struggled a lot with, I was sort of on the peripheral of a lot of this stuff. But what I what I saw was a lot of the faculty members who that we have faculty members who've been here for 40 45 years, you know, 50 years. Um, and that's a lot of data. That's a lot of course materials. That's a lot of stuff. And what we wanted to make sure that we did from the beginning is to not devalue all of that work and devalue all of that content because it is still great content, right? It's still, you know, very, you know, great for lack of a better word. But it, um, you know, in doing this, it was saying like, okay, like that's still good stuff. We just have to figure out a way to bring that to now. So it's to making to making that content accessible for kids now, because right now it's not. So what do we have to do to work together to make sure that that still holds value? And I think once we broke down that barrier of being like a, I think there's a lot of faculty members who were just like, oh, like don't touch my stuff. Right. It's my stuff. I'm not, you know, I'm not playing this game. Once we, you know, really explained that it's no, it's not your stuff. Your stuff's still great. It's just the sort of how it's presented and things like that. So it was. I think once that once that barrier was broken down, I think we saw a lot of. That's when I think we really started to see the culture change and that shift at the college to um, the more accessible content. That was part of it too. Is there was some defensive faculty early on that said, you know, why are you targeting me? I've always taught it this way. I don't understand why anything needs to be changed. So part of the message was saying, it's not your fault. You know, we're not blaming you and pointing the finger directly at you. It's that this is really how the process should be all along. Let's put you in the direction of improving everything you create from this point forward. Whereas punishing you for what came before, you know, we had, we had to kind of get around the explanation and get to, you know, the learning part of it, I guess. And I think using examples, too, of students, you know, for instance, you know, we had a student with a visual impairment who had no cognitive issues whatsoever, and this student can't access your material, right? This student is no different from any other student other than the issues that the student has with vision. And we're saying to this student, effectively, that, okay, even though you've got nothing else besides your, your, uh, your visual impairment, um, you can't take this class because it isn't in a language that you can understand. Right, so I think by really like having that student right there in front of somebody saying like, okay, well you can't be here, you know, that I think was a little bit of a change too because it's, it brought the idea of accessibility home to where like now we have a kid who's in our, a fully capable student who's at our institution that cannot access anything unless we make changes. I was kind of asking about that course with all scans because like that's a heavy lift, right? Doing headings on a Word document, not too terrible, but in cases like that, what was some of the process? Because that's something that we hear a lot from institutions, right? So, yeah, we could carve off alt text or whatever, but how did you pick up some of those bigger challenges? Well, any of the trainings that we did, we kind of reiterated a lot of the same thing and a lot of um, different trainings that we did. And one of them were, we're not the only school on the planet that are trying to make this particular doc document or infographic in an alternative version. You know, there's resources out there already. so. Whenever you get stressed out, like as a faculty member, I mean, about making something accessible, we have support circles to help you with that. And if we don't have a solution today, we're going to find it because we know the channels, where to reach out and where to look for it. So we'll find a solution. But now, fix the things that you're comfortable with fixing, report the things that you're having trouble with, and eventually, you know, your course will be fully accessible. So 
just kept chipping, like chipping away at the course semester after semester. So that was a big message. They would like email you directly when they had an issue, or what was that system that you? The, the, the words accessibility and chat just went together <laughs> at, at all aspects. Um, even like staff, you know, they were gonna buy a piece of software. Well, Chad has to test it. I'm like, wait, hold on, what? You know, I, and I'd have a lot of a lot of emails. So originally, that's what happened, and then we looked at the at the um, process though, and we looked at where we needed to implement, you know, different stages of the process. You know, so they brought on <clears throat> a part-time employee just for the academic side of things, so just for faculty support. That, that helped me out a lot, as opposed to just coming directly to one person. Now we have a few people. Then instructional technology was helping out a lot with giving direction. Um, we made a web page strictly for resources where faculty can read up on things on their own, so they didn't have to keep reaching out to us, especially for things that we felt were a little more simpler, you know, concepts to really understand and get. So that helped out. So all these different channels and buckets, we really started to, to fill. And once those buckets got filled a little more, it was easier to get things done, uh, especially in a time of yeah, fashion. Trixie anyway, too. Yep, that's what we were saying for the academic side right. for, for Trixie, the, the part-time support on the academic side. Um, and then we just kept educating ourselves, so we went through professional de development for ourselves. Uh, we have two people on staff now that are certified, right, for accessibility. So um, we took courses in professional de development, we spoke to vendors, we brought vendors in. We went to conferences, all these different things, that anything that we could do to, to gain more experience quickly, <laughs> as quickly <laughs> as we could with experience. And then um, once we gained that, we'd bring it back and disseminate that information as much as possible. And that was really the plan. I mean, that, that's really just, we just keep going with, with that, I Great. guess. Yeah, the process doesn't end. <laughs> no, it never ends, and it never will. And that's a message we say to faculty, too, about their courses. It's never going to end. You're not just going to be fully accessible one day. Because anytime you bring in a new piece of equipment, you know, you want to have accessibility in mind, you know, whatever that content might be. So, yeah, so it's, it's constantly revolving, but it's, it's good. And so some of the, the trainings that you all set up, I mean, you were showing me some of the things that you have built out. And so you provided basically, you know, asynchronous, synchronous, however you could reach them, you, you did it. Yeah, and bombarded bombarded too. Uh, we offered more trainings than we ever had in the past where we made it, we, we basically made it like Fridays were trainings without a doubt. We always had something on Fridays and then we would always do a Tuesday or a Wednesday as well on top of that. We brought out new workshops, stuff that has never been offered before to keep it a bit fresh. I mean obviously there were no accessibility workshops, we know that, but then we also parlayed that into universal design. We talk about video captioning which is certainly accessibility but it's just a bucket of it. You know we never had um, workshops dedicated to those topics before. So now we're, we have more education than we ever had before. Um, so it's easier, especially for a new faculty member, a new adjunct that comes in, you know, they can jump right into all these resources and get educated very quickly on this topic. And that's probably one of the biggest things, you know. Right, and one of the other things that academics is doing now is they, uh, they started putting together some standard courses that had accessible content already filled out in it. So that way when a new adjunct was hired, instead of saying, hi, you're hired, here's a syllabus and a text, um, good luck, here you go, here's a course, we already have fully accessible PowerPoints, we already have a fully accessible syllabus, we already have all these things that are already done and to give them a head start. You know what I mean when they started. So um, we're still 
working on that, but we definitely have made a lot of progress. So the, those templates were something pretty new that you introduced after the... Oh, yeah. Year. They're very new. Yeah. They just started uh, last summer. I think they just started developing them for last fall. How is faculty response to template? Are they like, ah, don't tell me how to organize my course or my syllabus? There's some of that. Uh, there's others who have embraced it a little bit more because it doesn't, they're not restricted from changing it once they get it. It's just kind of giving them a foundation to get started. Once they have it, they can then use it, not use it, uh, add their own content. Uh, you know, some of our academic departments have really, again, you spoke with some of our science folks earlier, they've done amazing things with developing that type of content both for lecture and lab yeah. blackboard core shells um, you know so that way when an adjunct comes in because think of it you're a brand new adjunct they're hiring maybe in the 11th hour how am I going to make this happen just like that and they not only have the tools they need to be successful um, but it's already accessible and it all is just going to help make the students more successful in the process of kind of training up faculty getting them on board, did certain faculty champions emerge that you kind of propped up on the campus to say, hey, this is your model, look at this faculty member? Absolutely. Yeah. We definitely I, did. Cause yeah. We, had, we had some faculty member where you could see right away kind of like that, that bell click or something, you know, something yeah. clicks all of a sudden where they get it, you know, and they say this isn't as stressful as I thought it would be or as, uh, as daunting as a task as I thought it would be. But then we were starting getting feedback going, you know, I've cleaned up a lot of stuff in my course. Like, I didn't realize how much stuff I have in my course I don't even use anymore that's really old or something like that. And I brought in new content, new fresh stuff as well. So we were getting good feedback from that. You know, it was something that we really didn't think about. We were just trying to make it accessible. You know, but here we are, you know, they're designing their courses all over again and updating their materials. And they kind of felt like, kind of like that cleaning out my closet type of feeling, you know, I'm all organized and I'm ready to go. So that was a nice... Um, response when it sounds like there's been some cost savings there too as far as storage and oh yeah right because we you know we were always up against the limits because of storage with uh, blackboard because we are managed hosting and we pay for our storage and uh, faculty you know they'd upload a file and it would never be deleted from their course and we could go through their files and they'd have a syllabus in there from 2004 that's just been copied over and over and over and over again and we had it had to be well over half of our faculty that just said give me a brand new course show I'm starting yeah. over and yeah. that is really um, that cleaned it up a lot yeah it did <laughs> cuts down the customer service I always say <laughs> yeah. cuts down customer service emails and all that right so now, I mean, you're pretty far along in this journey. You've got some success in there. As you were starting to see these courses turn green, did that kind of inspire the campus? Did it start to move away from just the stick being beaten over to them to a sense of pride? How has, I mean, you're talking about a culture shift. How does that now feel on a campus that, that has become more inclusive? Well, accessibility yeah. is obviously a big word. Everybody, I think, on campus knows about it and knows exactly what it means and exactly how to implement it, you know, which is three years ago, that wasn't something that was happening here at all, right? That's just not a word that people knew. And now they know a lot about it, probably more than they want to know about it. Well, and I think um, they're, they're proud to know. I mean, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier and um, some of us in the room teach and, 
you know what? I'm proud that my course is accessible. I want it to be accessible, as accessible as it can to everybody. And I think that there are a lot of faculty on campus that are proud that they can say that now. And many of them did the work themselves. They're like, I did that. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think there are a lot of people who are proud of themselves. I think when the teachers hear any feedback from a student, though, right, that's where they really, it really makes an impact on because that's what they're here for at the end of the day. So when you have, um, you know, we always, we would kind of pitch the idea of saying, would you like less emails from your students about they can't get access to this thing or they can't find this document, those type of things. So, you know, now that the courses are more organized and accessible, they're not getting those emails. They're just getting emails about, you know, content, which is where they want to be. You know, they don't want to have emails about software and where things are. So, you know, when they get that feedback from the students, I think that really makes them feel good about it, that they have a good product that they're putting out there. And I think also how much it's, it supports students without disabilities. I think that's a point that does kind of get lost a little bit is that, is that this, is that accessibility as a whole doesn't just serve students with disabilities. It helps students without disabilities incredibly well um, as well. So I think, you know, by seeing sort of the uh, student investiture in their uh, Blackboard courses, I think they're starting to see an uptick of students using them, seeing be able, students be able to access them and also they by sort of taking out a lot of the stuff that had been there forever, they're easy. To, they're much easier to navigate. So I think students are using the Blackboard courses a little bit more now because they're a little bit cleaner. Um, so I think that's that that's been a, a pretty pretty positive thing as well for for staff and faculty. So and faculty get you know the, the surveys right. I mean they get feedback yeah. on their courses, so they can literally you know read all this feedback and get feedback directly from the students. So that's that's right. a big one too. Are you getting a sense that it has improved in some of those areas that students are reporting a better experience in the course? Yeah, I, well, and part of that was as a part of this process in the very beginning of the process, probably one of the first things we did was we instituted a standard course menu in all of our Blackboard course shells so we could make navigation a little more consistent. That probably hit more resistance than you could probably imagine from faculty because we were telling them, you can only have these eight things on your course menu now instead of the 30 things that you had before and they didn't want to be told that and they sure didn't want somebody telling them what to name them but we did survey students after we did that and there was so much positive feedback that students were like it was nice that no matter what course I was going in I knew where to find my syllabus I knew where to find this I knew where to find that and you know that definitely was validation that we were moving in the right direction there has it changed the way your office is doing things? Has it, what's been in the impact on your office? It's been a great impact is we're able to now um, ensure accessibility for students. And we can now say, so if a student comes in and they know, we know that they need to take, um, like for instance, uh, the one, our, our, one of our students with a visual impairment, we know he, he has to take a biology class at some point in the next few semesters. So now we're able to go in and sort of do a deep dive now into that course to make sure that it's perfect. So I think, you know, we're seeing, you know, that be, being able to look into the future and sort of scaffolding the student's experience as they move through, but also being able to, you know, point st our students towards, you know, you know, towards classes that are more accessible to say, so if we know we have a student who requires accessibility or requires a high level of accessibility, we're able to now go in and sort of, we know the, the faculty members that are really doing it well. 
So this is sort of enabled us to kind of go in and see sort of like who are those professors that are just killing it. So then we can now take our students and sort of put them in that direction instead of what we we're doing before. Just like this is open, go here, you know, just because it's open. And then we don't really know what sort of experience that student's going to get. Being a community college, we're full of adjuncts. Most of them are wonderful, but sometimes you have some that are a little bit funny. Now we can go in and really see what the course looks like and make sure that that student's experience is going, like, is almost 100% going to be a good one. Yeah. Is it over now? Is the... No. <laughs> the consent decree? No. No, it is not. No, we still have, uh, what do we got? What do we got left? We got some time left on it. No, I think it's, uh... I think it's just a progress that's just going to continue. Um, there's way too much new technologies and way too much uh, variation and dissemination of information, you know, where accessibility is always going to have to be, you know, thought of when you're creating content and when you're bringing content in. There's just, it's never going to go away. So we have to stay up to date now on Great. all the new stuff that's coming in. So there's a, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. But as far as the, the legal hammer, it, that's still yeah. over your head in a way. Uh, yes, like the, the, the deadline that loomed for so long of all content has to be 100% accessible by a certain date that passed last summer. So we are past that now, but we still have um, facets of it that is still ongoing for, for a little ways here. Yeah, because you are right. I mean, it's, it's always going to be there, right? It's, yeah. it's always a journey. It's, it, it, right? That inclusive learning, they say, it's, it's not a destination. It is, it is a journey. And it's something you'll always work on. I th well, the, I think the most important part, though, with the consent decree, right? When everybody thinks about consent decree, they think about lawsuit, and they think about things that have to get done right away. But what the consent dec de decree really did was it highlighted ways that we can support our students that we were not doing prior. We were offering a lot of services, you know? Yeah. That's not why the consent decree came about. It was because there were certain little areas that we weren't offering support in. You know, so we were able to really analyze those areas and strengthen them, and that's what we've done. So we're taking proactive approaches because of that, and we'll continue to do that. And I think, and I'm not sure if this was mentioned, but I think one of the one of the great things about the consent decree is it's sort of is allocation of resources, right? So you have something like this that we're now legally bound to do, which I, I stand by. I think it's a, I think the consent decree is a great thing. I think it really has enabled us to do a lot of really good work. But with that comes an allocation of resources. With that comes the ability to go to conferences, to be able to write grants, to do these things, to be able to bolster the program and get the technology we need, not just with Blackboard Ally, but being able to get the right magnifiers, being able to get the right equipment, the right everything, um, and be able to have sort of an ability to kind of pay for it, um, which I think has been, that's been huge for us, is being able to sort of use that added added resources and really figure out a way to because it's very rare that you get the ability to sort of build a program from scratch and say like here's this document build a program around this document um so it was a really unique position to be in and we really took full advantage of it on you know across the board and the other two amazing resources we did get out of the consent decree is mike and chad yeah whereas i mean mike actually wasn't at atlantic cape before and chad was part of instructional technology but the roles they have here now have have changed Atlantic Cape forever in a positive way and have just really opened up everybody's eyes and really they have been the vehicles by which they have directed the change of the culture here at Atlantic Cape.
And I think by, by breaking down the silos that have existed across campus for so long and really being able to work so closely with um, instructional technology, I think it's been, I mean, that's just been a, a perfect partnership in that, you know, we're, we're, we're able to work seamlessly together on projects where it's not just we're off doing our thing and then we're on step 10 and we go, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And like, oh, well, I've been doing this too. You know, why don't we, so our efforts have been combined from the jump. So it's been, um, and then not only just with uh, um, instructional technology, but working with the academic side of the college, with purchasing, with every, every area and every facet of the college, being able to um, make sure that it's accessible. So for instance, like the college isn't purchasing any kind of electronic technology without our approval, without it being completely vetted through the Center for Accessibility. So we're not even buying anything that we know is inaccessible now. Whereas before it was just like, go ahead and buy it. Now we're able to go in and look at it and be like, if this is an inaccessible product, we're not buying it, right? And that's sort of, and it's our, we, we have the ability to approve or deny those, those things, which I think is huge. And we've been able to um, include a lot in policy changes. You know, we, we've changed yeah. a lot of different policies now to include accessibility within those po uh, policies now, so. Absolutely. I mean, really, when I say that we've rebuilt the whole thing I and mean, we got rid of every policy and procedure and we rewrote everything, we just went and sort of, we found different institutions that were doing it right. Um, and we sort of just adopted things that other people had done that worked. We took things that we were doing that worked and we sort of built this around sort of best practices from kind of all over the place and then realized that we could create our own philosophy Right? And we looked at our, our population of students. It's a unique one. We're a community college. You know, we're not, uh, you know, so it's, um, you know, we are, we service students in the community and a lot of our students are kind of on the fringe. If even if you take the disability completely out of it, getting them to walk in the front door is a huge success. Um, so what could we do from an accessibility standpoint to be able to scaffold these students and to be able to make them feel um, like they can be successful um, and that's just what we this is what we we build a program around that. So I think that's that's been a really and also you know we wouldn't have been able to do it without the team that's here, without the the culture of the institution kind of stepping in and allowing us to kind of to build this thing. Um, and I think by and large it's been it's been pretty successful thus far. You're talking about student success and the benefits for all students, and I shared with you all your alternative format downloads recently. It sounds like people were pretty excited to hear that number. They're very excited because you know what, that's that's a part of uh, Ally that our faculty don't really think about a whole lot because you know they think about the indicators and are, do I have green or red or whatever but they don't really think about the fact that now their content isn't just like that one accessible file they put up there but now there's like you know several other ways that students can also get this content in a way that they never could before that just makes their life, their learning experience a better one. And you were kind of speaking to that point earlier, Chad, about really broadening the conversation to that UDL, really thinking about the usability of the course and opening up a lot of those principles. You want to talk about maybe like what you see as you all kind of move further down the road here? Yeah, well, we're definitely going to focus more on universal design. There's a lot of different aspects to universal design, but um, just organization and structure to a course, you know, it's extremely beneficial for student success. But I think what we're finding too is how faculty member can actually have a dialogue with students about certain things that they never knew before. So if you have a student in your class that relies on a screen reader, you have a faculty member now saying, 
I know what a screen reader is. You know, I, I'm aware of that tool, and I could build content so that that'll work that way. You know, so that's a huge benefit, um, and that's one of the big changes that we're seeing. That the actual conversations that are happening. Um, prior to this, you probably said, "I don't know what a screen reader is." So you know, go see go see disability support services and get an accommodation yeah. or something. Where now it's like, no, we can work with that. As a matter of fact, there's an alternative versions right here on Blackboard. Let me show you. Click this button type of deal. So faculty are, are definitely more open to discussing these type of things with their students. There's a lot of dialogue, which is, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I'll just point out prior to uh, this whole thing, uh, the word accessibility was not required in a syllabus. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really a thing that a student even had the opportunity to bring up with their instructor. Um, one of the first policy changes, you guys can correct me on that, is that there had to be a little blurb in every syllabus yeah. saying, hey, we have these resources available, here's the contact information to reach out for that. And part of that is now in the very first class you hand out the syllabus, hey, it's right there in writing. If a student was curious about something, they can bring it up with their instructor or they can just go straight to CFA to take care of it. Yeah. That's part of the reasons why we, we, when we, when we rebuilt the program, we rebranded it. You know, it was for years, it was disability support services. So the first thing that we did was we took that out and threw it away and changed it to the Center for Accessibility. That's at the bare bones, that's what we do, is we make things accessible for students, not necessarily students with disabilities. So statements like that on the syllabus, you know, was able, we were able to do that and then link that directly back to an office instead of just it being this like, just random statement. Any other policy things that you wanted to mention, like uh, any other things that you instituted you thought were pretty effective in, in creating that culture shift? I'm sure a lot of other institutions would love to hear about. Well, we did the 90% green. I don't know if you want to mention that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah we did have a, a, a goal or challenge. You don't have to say it's 90%. You say you have, a, you know, we had, a, we had a standard that we right, were looking for. Right, that the Office of Academic Affairs put out where they told faculty they they, they wanted everybody to strive towards 100% accessibility, but they really wouldn't accept anything below 90%. So um, as a result of that, we had uh, Josh here develop a way to extract the data that the deans actually look at the accessibility of all of our active courses on a weekly basis. And anybody that dips below that number gets gets an email from the dean, hey, there's something going on in your course. Did you upload some new content that you need help with? We have these resources. Do you have it in an alternative format we're not aware of? If so, let us know so we're aware. Um, you know, so that definitely was huge in our success. Again, that, that's administration support. You need the backbone. You need the, you know, the muscle from the top and you need the workers from the bottom you know to to have that perfect success i think absolutely i mean not this isn't specific to ally but one of the things that we we implemented that i think we've, we've seen a big success on is you know being a community college we see a lot of older students um and um like a lot of institutions and we we were we we one of them um in order to receive accommodations you would have to provide documentation of your disability um, and uh, you know we were only accepting documentation that was um, less than five years old um, so and making students go if it was older than five years they can go out and get reevaluated um, at their own cost and m most I would say most institutions are doing this but when I was going going through rebuilding this we realized we don't we really have to do that 
right? We don't really have to have this barrier. So, you know, it's kind of the idea if, if I have a if I have a student that has documentation that they have autism, but the documentation is from, you know, like 2010, there's a really good chance they still have autism. And what kind of a barrier am I putting in place now for the student saying, oh, great, I have this IEP from high school that says that you have autism, but, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, we can't take it anymore. So I'm going to need you to go out and spend, you know, a thousand bucks to get reevaluated to tell me something that I already know. So we threw it out the window. We got rid of it. You know, so as long as, as long as we have something, you know, from a licensed professional, uh, we're, we're, we're going to take it and we're going to work with every student also comes in and meets with us. So we don't really, you know, if, you know, kind of gone are the days where a student just sends off a piece of documentation, we give them accommodation, they come in and we come up with an individualized plan. And if it's, and if their plan involves accessibility and technology, they're going to go and meet with Chad and they're going to develop an individual technology plan to be able to suit them. And this is, we're in high schools now. So we're, we're, we're talking to kids that are juniors in high school now that have identified Atlantic Cape as the place that, that they're going to come. We're working with them now on technology plans, still in high school. So trying to get this technology in their hands now so that when they come to Atlantic Cape, they're proficient in the use of that technology already. So we're really, we're dialing it back. So we know, for instance, like how many, you know, visually impaired students, how many deaf students are in sort of our encatchment area that may possibly come to Atlantic Cape at some point over the next five years. So we're ready. And they know that we have a resource here and they also know they can come on campus. So you don't have to be a student here to come in and talk with us and learn about the resource, learn what we can do, how to support you, irregardless of where you go to college. Um, so I think that's been it's been a good success for us, policy-wise. It's not policy-wise, but one of the new uh, Blackboard Ally tools that we are actually, or abilities that we are using is, uh, we had to develop, or Mike developed a form that students could click on and fill out if they do happen to go through their Blackboard course and find a piece of content that wasn't accessible, mm -hmm. they could uh, click on that link and it takes them to a form that then goes to Chad and Mike so they can help the professor identify what the content is and make it more accessible. And we were able to use that new feature where you can include that automatic help feedback to the student to put in a direct link to that form. So as the student clicks on the piece of content and that's not working for them and they go through the alternative formats and they're not working for them, then right there they're taken to the form that goes straight to those guys to help them to get their content in a format that's actually gonna work for them. Very cool, very cool. Any closing thoughts? I'm, I'm, if you wanted me to expand just a, a minute longer, I know because you wanted some stuff on universal design. Um, where we're at though in terms of training, you know, we did a lot of training for accessibility, meaning you can use an automated tool to see if something is accessible, just like Blackboard Ally, right? So our, our faculty really understand what accessibility is and how to make something compliant. But now we're trying to educate them a little bit more on usability and why we're doing the things that we're doing for student success, you know, the student experience side of it. So that's kind of what we're catering towards our workshops now, you know, um, in the future, kind of adjusting to that. So in other words, you know, you can, you can run a document through an accessibility checker and get the green light, you know, because the accessibility checker might say that you have alternative text on an image. But is the alternative text good for the context of the lesson, you know, is it really a quality alternative text? So that's kind of where the conversation is heading now at our school, quality and universal design. Let me ask one challenge question. Well, I'll weave this one back in another part. 
<laughs> but as far as, you know, you mentioned some faculty, because I've heard this one before, some faculty saying, I'm going to yank my content out of there so that it doesn't get checked. What's been the strategies in trying to address that? Do you see that starting to change a little as they see other faculty get green and they feel more comfortable with it? No, yeah, no, number one, our message from our departments when we do workshops is to never ever pull content down like that. We're, that's not the yeah. way this institution uh, operates and that's not the way we're trying to operate. Um, that's really not an option. The option is to identify where the barriers are, the struggles for accessibility and reach out to the yeah. support circles in order to come up with a resolution. So as, if we you know, keep doing that rhetoric, then that's what's gonna happen. You know, If we have a rhetoric of take it down because you can't make it accessible, or it's too hard, don't worry about it, yeah. then that's the result you're gonna get. So we're not really looking at that result. We don't, we don't um, you know, say that rhetoric. We, don't, you know, we, we try to do, push them in the positive direction of trying to, you know, we, we absorb the challenges. We look forward to a challenge and try to come up with a solution for it. So I think, I think a lot of it too is just having real talk with faculty members and just when, when, when we're noticing that content's removed or that content's not, um, you know, not reflective of the course, having blatant, purposeful conversations with that faculty member and just trying to figure out why, figuring out, you know, what's, you know, what's, what's the rationale behind it. And then, you know, just taking things from there, you know, just realizing what, like Ch Ch Chad had said, that's not the culture of the institution. You know, we've been collectively working really hard for, you know, a long time to, to build this culture. And that's counter to what that culture is and what the mission of, you know, the college and the Center for Accessibility and, and all the, the other offices. And it's just not, um, it's not acceptable. And it's, it kind of won't be tolerated, you know, um, you know, and we do have, we have the support of, you know, um, you know, all the way up to make sure that this that this stuff kind of happens. So, um, but I think communication and real talk and just making sure that you know, um, you know, once people I think realize how non difficult it is, that's when we start to see that shift. So I think having those conversations and not sort of beating around the bush, so to speak, is is really important. And you said the examples. I mean, we have examples in, in classes of yeah. how this was made accessible. You know, where they say, well, I don't know how to make that. It's impossible to do that. I say, no, hold on. Let me show you. You know, yeah, we exactly. have different ways of doing it. You know, we've done it over here this way. Maybe you can implement that. And when they see that their peers, you know, are able to do it, and uh, maybe they think outside the box a little bit to get it done, you know, that's the direction that we push people in. It's a bit of a strange statement because when you're saying I'm going to pull my content down, you're basically saying I don't want to give my students the ability to learn this. So it's it's an odd starting point for something like that yeah. to say that I'm going to remove resources from my students. And okay, I mean, I, if that's going to be your starting point as a teacher, you probably have other things you got to look at. Yeah. All right, that's a wrap. Wow. Hearing from the team at Atlantic Cape, I mean, what an amazing, amazing story. They deserve major kudos for leading their campus and really turning a tough situation into a triumph for inclusive learning. So next stop, we'll be continuing on the northeast leg of the tour with visits to William Patterson University and the University of Connecticut. Until then, good luck on your road to inclusivity. Join the tour along with the rest of the Ally community at tour.ally.ac. 
You can catch the latest updates on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag AllyTour2019. And listen to stories of inclusion from our community champions on the Ally Tour 2019 podcast series, available on SoundCloud or in your favorite podcast app. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next stop on the road to Inclusivity.